Good morning, Grand Revival Chapel from Wilmington, Vermont. Here's your two-minute warning. Here's your <laughs> two-minute warning. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? It, you're about 45 seconds behind, so. You give people a chance to want to get involved. Are we live right now? Am I starting or not? You're live. That's why I just asked you, but you stopped me. I'm live, but we're not starting. <laughs> Good morning, thanks for those who are tuning in. A lot of uh, the news has been changing like crazy the last four or five days. So we were going to have church. Now we're having it here in Vermont. So one thing that does not change is God's word. We're in the series of the Kings. Um, turning your Bibles to Second Chronicles 21. Today we have King Jehoram. Second Chronicles 21. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram his son reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Zarahu, Michael, and Shehetha. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them gifts great gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give him a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Let's have a time of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we thank you um, that these uh, stories in your word are still applicable today. We pray that you would do a work, that you would uh, change our lives, that we might be more like you. Help us during this time. May your Holy Spirit control the words that come out of my mouth, that it might be edifying to the saints and glorifying to you, that you would be honored above all. In your name, amen. King Jehoram, one of the bad kings, one of the bad kings. And uh, to me, one of his problems one of his biggest problems was basically just a self-centered view of his life. If you look there in verse um, 6, it would describe his lifestyle. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He was born basically with privilege. He was born where it says with lots of great gifts from his 
father of King Jehoshaphat, great gifts of silver and gold. He had position, he had authority, he had all those things. And yet, what did he choose to do with his lifestyle? What did he choose? How did he choose to live, given all these things? I would say that selfishness breeds a misguided view of your position in life. He decided to go the way of the kings of Israel, which was basically to live for yourself. He actually was surrounded by brothers who cared about him, and he destroyed them. He married an outsider. He married a girl that would turn his heart from the Lord. He had a position that he did not earn, which would be, because he was firstborn, the king of a nation. He had the ability to lead a country spiritually. He had the ability to be surrounded by help. He had wealth, and he gave it all away, all because of his selfishness. The Bible says in the New Testament, for to whomever much is given, of him much will be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask more. To much is given, much is required. What was his actions towards what he was given? It was evil. It was just evil. He decided instead to bring in idolatry to the nation. He decided to, like I said, kill family members. He decided to marry a girl he should not have married. He decided evil. You know, when we talk about the ways of the kings of Israel, one of their number one flaws was who they surrounded themselves with. Many times you'll read, and we'll talk about it at Brantford Bible Chapel in the upcoming weeks, who they married was really one of their worst decisions. It says their wives turned their heart away from the Lord. So I'll just challenge us today in just thinking of these things again. Who is your best friend? Who are the people you've surrounded yourselves with in life? Are they those that will help point you to the Lord? Are they those that would actually help encourage you in the faith? Are they those that will keep your mind in the right place when you are given lots of authority and lots of power and, and riches like Jehoram was given? All the people that were in his life, his father had great counsel. The nation of Israel was on the right path. He had many sons. They were all with Jehoram. He had been given the ability to lead with gifts of silver and gold. And he got rid of all of it. He didn't only kill his brothers. It actually said he killed what's called the princes of Israel. All those who were in charge. All those who were in charge of some of those um, areas there in Judea. He killed and got rid of them too. Because he wanted to rule all by himself. Selfishness also breeds a warped view of yourself. Let's look at verse 13. The prophet Elijah actually is the one who wrote him a letter saying this. But you have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab. And also you killed your brothers those of your father's household who were better than yourself. This idea of having 
a self-centered lifestyle, there's many times where it breeds a warped view of who we really are. It's a warped view of who we think we could be. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. There's many times we know people in life who think they're better than they actually are. If you looked at it, you might sit there and say, of course, Jehoram um, is better than his brothers. He actually was the king. He was firstborn. He killed them, showing his strength. He now has the kingdom all to himself. Yet God's word would record for all eternity that his brothers were actually better men than himself. In his own mind, I guarantee he thought he was better than his brothers. But yet not from God's perspective. His brothers were better than him. There are so many times we can struggle with this in our own lives that we would think we're better than we really are. There was a time where two or three weeks ago, I think now, I was playing um, basketball with one of my old students. She was a girl, ninth grade girl. I challenged her on the court thinking there's no way I lose to a girl in ninth grade. Suddenly, because we were about to watch the school's uh, basketball game that day, there was a crowd of about 100 to 200 parents watching me and her play one-on-one. -on -one. The score, I believe, was 4-1, to one, in which I was losing. I had already been embarrassed by her once, because as she drove, she double-pumped. My feet left the ground, and I actually tripped and fell. Then she drove again. This time, I was not going to let her embarrass me. She double pumped. My feet left the ground again. I had nowhere to go except on top of her. I completely collapsed my ninth grader, landed on top of her awkwardly in front of 200 people, realized maybe I was not as good as I thought I was. And yet the point is, I wouldn't stop after the first time I was embarrassed. I wouldn't stop and uh, maybe just give her the game because there was 200 people watching me lose to a ninth grade girl. I would just continue to play until I was completely embarrassed and lost, I believe, 7-1. to one. That's our human nature. We always think we're better than how even others view us. I think that time the nation of Judah would have sat there and thought to themselves, your brothers were a lot better than you. Why do you have to be our king? And yet someone who has a self-centered life doesn't think that way. It breeds a warped view of themselves. When you judge yourself before God, how do you set the standard? The Bible says, be perfect, for I am perfect. When we're supposed to judge ourselves, whether we're better than others or how good we're doing in life, the standard is actually perfection against God himself. That's why it should be easy for us as Christians to be humble because we know we fall short. And yet there's so many times in our life where we would rather sit there and compare ourselves to others to make ourselves look good. And even when we do that, most of the people around us, they understand that we're not as good as we think. <laughs> Jehoram got rid of his brothers, got rid of others who were better than himself.
what happened was the kingdom, historically, started to come against him. And he tried to fight, and he was losing the kingdom. And Elijah the prophet actually wrote him a letter, basically saying, the kingdom's going to get taken from you, and you're going to die a horrible death. You're going to have two years of a disease in your bowels. You're going to lose everything. You know, selfishness breeds a lot of pain and loss. Let me read verses 18 through 19. Well, actually, we'll start in verse uh, 16. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. They came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives. So there was not a son left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. After all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of time, after the end of two years, that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain, and his people made no burning for him, like the burning of his fathers. Selfishness breeds pain and loss. His lifestyle brought him to the point where he had lost everything. He lost his family members. He lost all the gold and the silver that he did not earn, that his father had given to him. And when he lost everything, so it seemed, he was struck with an incurable disease. A lot of commentators have different thoughts about what the disease was. But it was something like Crohn's disease nowadays. It was inflammation in his intestines. It was horrible. Very painful. Every time he went to the bathroom, it was extreme pain. And it was long-suffering for two years. Two years he died a slow death. All brought on by his own actions. And one could say things like this. How can you serve a God who is so mean? How can you serve a God that would make someone suffer for two years? With so much pain. Why couldn't God just be merciful? It's interesting that thought process. That I found in my own life to maybe switch the perspective around. The fact that he actually had a disease for two years might just mean God was pretty merciful. You would think that after he lost everything, he would repent. But he didn't. God then gave him a disease. You would think after all of that, he would repent. But he didn't. It's in our nature to go through pain and loss and never stop and reflect. Why am I going through this pain and loss? Is there any repenting I need to do to get rid of this pain and loss? In the movie Warrior, what a great scene is a movie of two brothers who are fighters in a UFC tournament. They make it to the final round. There's a huge cash prize. In the middle of the bout, one of the brothers dislocates his shoulder. Basically, 
It should be over. There's no way he can now win with a dislocated shoulder. At any point, he can tap out, and yet he refuses. His brother begs him in the ring, please just tap out. Don't make me do this. And the one with the dislocated shoulder continues to fight, continues to try to do something. So his brother pounds on his dislocated shoulder, bringing excruciating pain, begging him to tap out. He refuses. The round is over. He's thinking now maybe he'll just give in. He makes it to the third round. The brother comes out to fight, begging him, saying, don't go through this pain. I don't want to do this to my brother. And yet, has to finish him. At one point, he kicks him in the shoulder. And he goes down and he puts him in a, a grip, a lock, which he will pass out if he does not tap out. And the brother actually is sitting there on the mat, telling his brother he loves him. Just to, to stop going through the pain. Just tap out and we'll be okay. And the brother finally taps out and he wins. I think that scene is a lot more like us than we think. I think we have been given certain bruises, certain pain that we know we cannot go on until we deal with the pain, and yet we just keep fighting. Sometimes we fight against God. A lot of times we fight against our own uh, Holy Spirit that's telling us, change your life. Even though there's pain and loss all around us, and Holy Spirit saying, please don't do this. Just tap out. Just give in. Just give in to my way. We don't. I think it could be like that for Jehoram. God is amazing in the story of all the kings of Israel. No matter how wicked they are, no matter what things they do, at any time if they repent, God forgives them. And a lot of times he restores things. If you want to read ahead, we're going to be doing it at Brantford Bible Chapel. King Manasseh is an amazing story in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. One of the most wicked kings that ever lived. And while he was thrown into jail at the end of his life, he repented. And God forgave him and actually restored his kingdom. And so it is with us. Our selfishness can bring pain and loss, and yet God is a God who can forgive at any moment that we repent. Finally, selfishness breeds loneliness. Selfishness breeds loneliness. I want you to see the end of his life and what it got him. It says there again in verse 19 of chapter 21 of Second Chronicles, And it happened in the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain. And his people made no burning for him, like the burning for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and to no one's sorrow departed. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. He lived a life for himself, and he died lonely. He died with absolutely no money, even though he started his life with gold and silver and gifts. He died with no family except one son. All the rest were captured. Many were killed. And he for sure did not die with any honor. A king of a nation 
was not even buried with the rest of the kings. That's how much they despised him. Arlington Cemetery is one of our amazing places here in this nation. That if you die serving your country, you can be buried there. And if anyone has ever walked those grounds, it is a place of eerie quietness. Where there is still honor for those who have died serving the country. That's how it should be. This was a king of a nation, and they would not bury his bones with the rest of the other kings. The burning there would speak of a, a ceremony. When the other kings died, there was a bunch of spices and, and incense, and they basically would burn these things for a sweet-smelling uh, aroma, and it was just kind of like a memorial service as under the other kings, in sorrow that they had passed, not him. He died with absolutely no honor. Last but not least, no one cared that he died. It says to no one's sorrow. No one cared that he died. There are so many times where we think the beginning of our lives are more important than the end. That is typically what a self-centered person would think. It's actually the end of our lives that matters. The legacy that we would leave behind that matters. Why do I say that? What good can you do for God after you're dead? Well, actually, you can still have influence on people, even though you've died. The Bible speaks that Abel's blood still cries out to heaven to this day as a living testimony. There are those who have gone on before us that even though they have died, they still encourage us to walk correctly with our God. They still encourage us to live out the faith. Even though they are dead, they are still a testimony and a witness to furthering the kingdom of God. And there are those who die that no one has anything good to think about. What do you want at your funeral? I've shared this story before. One of the most life-changing times of my life was when I had two funerals in one week. One was a good family friend who lived in our neighborhood. Uh, his son, uh, uh, triathlete, I got a full ride to Holy Cross. I played football with him. His father died. And I remember a lot of people caring about him, and yet just a look of despair and hopelessness in their eyes at that funeral because there really was no hope at all. He had died. And that was it. He was gone. And I thought, my goodness, I don't want that at my funeral. Even if people love me, there's just this despair. There's, there's just loss with nothing to do. And that same week, there was a guy named Herb McCulley who was a mentor to me. He's a mentor to my father, taught me a lot about the Lord. I went to his funeral. <clears throat> and I still saw a lot of people in tears. I still saw a lot of people sad. And yet, Lots of hope. People would talk about how they encouraged him in life and things that mattered spiritually. And people were at the memorial with smiles on their faces. Even though he had died, he had left a mark. To this day, people still talk about Herb McCulley and how he made an influence for God's kingdom. What will it be like when you have died? What will people think he was gone? He was gone. Even on their face, people were recorded that this King Jehoram died to no one's sorrow. No one cared. 
And it's not necessarily the idea that he died with nothing. It's the life that he lived. There was another man who died with no money. His friends had deserted him. It seemed like he had died with no honor. And yet God had exalted high above every other name. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he looked poor, weak, and helpless with no one coming to his rescue. And yet, to this day, people honor him and will honor him for all eternity because he lived a life that was completely selfless. We cannot measure our success by what we have when we die, rather the testimony we leave behind. Don't be like these kings, these horrible kings of the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, who would go the way of the kings of Israel and live for themselves and bring people into idolatry and bring people far from the Lord to where the end of their lives is just nothing but pain, loneliness, and depression. To the Christian, we put our faith and trust into Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, and we would live into a family that is unspeakably huge. Everyone has a choice to make. We pray again today that we would follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for who you are. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you so much for forgiving us. Pray, Lord, that again you would uh, just comfort our hearts, that we would grow close to you during these times. In your name, amen. That's it for now. Thanks for the first ever Brantford Bible Chapel streaming on a Sunday morning.